The in-studio videotaped version of this podcast is available on YouTube. Just type in David Trapella at A Quiet Place. Please be sure and hit the subscribe button and ring the bell for future notifications. Shh. It's time to let go. Release the burdens brought on by life when you simply want to be free. You are a blinding beam of light and you deserve to be free. You are always welcome here. It's time to be quite honest. Hello and welcome to the Quite Honest Podcast um, with Sarah Bush and David Trapella. Uh, I am not David Trapella, but if you recognize my voice, I'm the voice that you hear and have heard. In uh, some of our other podcasts in the beginning and the end, I have the pleasure today of being in the interviewer's chair with uh, who I lovingly call the first lady of A Quiet Place, Miss Sarah Bush, who has graciously allowed me to uh, be the interviewer and her be the interviewee. Um, her uh, bona fides and resume and history is well known to all of us here um, at A Quiet Place. Uh, you can now find Sarah at her website at sarahbush.net, as well as on YouTube channels for A Quiet Place. Uh, and Sarah is on various uh, 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 social media, such as uh, you have Instagram, correct? Yes. And uh, Facebook, of course. That's correct. Uh, do you tweet? Do you have a Twitter? Um, it's being set up, but I'm having to learn how to do that. Well, good luck, because I I think Twitter is the one that I'm least interested in, uh, both personally and professionally, because it just seems like to be relevant. You have to constantly be on it. And as we just discussed uh, in the virtual waiting room here on Zoom, uh, so uh, Sarah or admitted to Sarah that I am the master procrastinator. So that is probably not a good thing for me uh, to be responsible for. But getting back to our guest today, Ms. Sarah Bush, uh, is a lot of things to a lot of people. Um, but I'm going to start out by saying that when I first met her, not only was I fascinated by um, her uh, regaling me with uh, her journey to get to where um, that reminds me too. See, I told you we we're just going to have an informal chat. I'm going to put my phone on silent as well. But I, I was also fascinated by how she speaks and her tone and her uh, cadence. And being a musician myself, that really spoke to me. So I would like to make my introduction short, and I would be honored if you would try to recreate that for everyone who's listening and watching this podcast. By the way, for those of you listening, video version of this podcast and all of our podcasts uh, at A Quiet Place are available on YouTube. But I would like uh, you to share who you are with everyone, and I'm going to sit back uh, and listen the way I did when you first told me, Miss Sarah Bush. Thank you, Mr. 
Dr. Philip Redman. You know, I, I think that the story that comes with who I am is more designed by what I believe is my purpose. You know, when I started working at the age of 12, I lied for three years about my age because where I was working with the Austin State School, you had to be 15 under the labor laws to work someplace like that, even if you were a volunteer. But I loved working with the folks from the Austin State School. So when people would say to me, where did you grow up? I'd say, well, I grew up in Austin, but I learned at the Austin State School. And they'd say, what do you mean by that? And I said, the most profound thing I learned was, one, to listen. Number two, to love unconditionally. Because the people that live at the Austin State School or lived at the Austin State School were Down syndrome. They had special needs. There were um, individuals that were bedridden. But every single one of them had a soul. And every single one of them just wanted to be loved for who they were. So I found while sitting on a bench one day with one of my folks that I worked with, um, one of the folks that lived there, was that the illness of society was more of the issue than it was those living on the inside. Because mm -hmm. they just loved who they were and loved everybody that came in with no judgment. I just thought, is that not incredible? Absolutely. So the gifts of ingredients that I got very young were to truly be from the heart, not the head. And that the next phase that I went into was the insurance business, which I was in for 15 years. And I found even in that, the importance was to serve, to listen to others but to more importantly respect what they owned and what they cared about and how they wanted it to be taken care of if anything ever happened. No different than when I started out at 12 years old. We all take a look at how we're to be serving, not to serve, as in a servant. So I transitioned into, thanks to the insurance business, working on the street with kids. For 28 years, I worked on the street with kids. And in that, I also did gang intervention where I facilitated and co-facilitated through four different states around kids that were in trouble, either through youth commissions or um, Indian reservations, different groups from different states where kids were in trouble. And in that eight-day intervention, was to really peel that onion back to get kids open enough and vulnerable enough to realize that their actions cost them, not only personally, but also in society. And so just transitioning back into society wasn't going to be enough after eight days. And so we had a year-long volunteer intensive, volunteer to one youth. So we had 100 volunteers for maybe 30 kids, which supported them every week and every month in group settings to where they were constantly kept focusing on things they wanted to change in their lives and it be successful. And if they stepped on something and stepped three steps back, we were there to re-support the transition or the transformation 
in their behavior so that they could truly get back into society. And one of the things that we did is to have them volunteer in community settings so that they learn to give back. Again, how do we serve others instead of be served? Exactly. And so the entitlement issue was very prevalent with those kids. And so we had to literally change the behaviors based on the way they were raised. Some kids were raised in environments that were really, really poor or really abusive. And some kids were raised not understanding that what they were doing was wrong because it's kind of like the saying, they didn't know it was, they didn't know they didn't know. And so they didn't know that what they were doing was really wrong. They knew that they might get in trouble with the law, but they didn't understand the consequence. Wow. And so I, from there, were you going to ask a question? No, I, I just found that I, I never saw it that way, that they didn't realize what they were doing was wrong. They realized that they would get in trouble or get in trouble with the law to the extreme, but not realize that what they were doing was wrong. Already a fascinating aspect of what you're doing, but only that this is only the first of many, many questions I have for you, but please continue. Well, okay, but, but stop and think about it. As we're growing up, we're taught by the belief systems of the people that raise us that it's their way. And it isn't until we start testing the waters, it's kind of like fishing, until you throw your fishing pole out and you start reeling it in that you find out if you have a fish at one end or a tennis shoe at one end. <laughs> and so, you know, sometimes we have to experience the things that aren't okay to realize the cost of it affecting other people. And one of the things that was so profound in the eight days of intervention, we started out with, here's where you are in life. And we made them look at that. And they had to stand up and share what that looked like. Everybody had to use a microphone, which the gift in that is they had to hear their voice. We're all great at talking until you can hear your voice. Yeah. And so they had to hear their voice and hear their story. And so we would allow them to tell the story. And the next phase was, what has that cost you? And they go, what do you mean? You mean, is it dollars? No. Who are your friends? Oh, man, I got friends on the street and they're in this gang. No, those aren't <laughs> friends. So where's your family? Oh, no, my gang's my family. Well, to some it is because it's the only safe place that they have. But the truth is that's not family. And so you had to change that mold to understand that the support they were going to get for the next year was really their family. And as we progressed down many months, we would then pull in whatever parents they had. And the hardest ones were the dads because the machismo or the ego was something that we had to shave down as well for them to have an open, honest relationship with their child. Oh my gosh. We could probably have a whole nother podcast and, uh, in, in, in several heated debates about the Madonna mother figure versus the absentee father. Oh my gosh. And certain <laughs> cultures have different, you know, different cultures have different relationships. You know, there's some cultures that there's no father at all. There's a baby daddy or many baby daddies. 
<laughs> um, and then there are other cultures where the ego is so strong, they run the household and you're to be here for sex, food, and taking care of everything. There's no relationship of family dynamics. There's just roles. Absolutely. And then there are, and then there are some families where, you know, the parents are around, but they're not there. <laughs> you know, they're doing their own thing and look and making it look good in society. But the truth is they're not there for their kids. They're not in a spiritual relationship, a loving relationship with their kids. That, I mean, everything that you just said is so uh, just hits, just really hits home with me as a consumer and an observer uh, and a purveyor of pop culture and how li everyday life kind of makes its way into the entertainment field, where they be through comedians or movies or TV or, or you know, any medium like that. Everything that you said just encapsulated uh, our whole journey as a, as a society for about the past at least 50 years since I've been here. Right. Um, uh, thankfully, uh, when you started, um, the uh, recognition that um, people with needs weren't necessarily people who didn't have understanding or a soul. So thankfully, you were at the forefront of that, and that led to your um, to your to the next step of your journey where Absolutely. in the field of insurance um ironically going hand in hand still fulfilling people's needs and then you got like your you know all all of your skill set from that and then transitioning into the heart of the beast which was helping at risk kids because as I've heard you say many times before, uh, they're really the cornerstone, you know, of building uh, the family dynamic uh, or damaged family dynamic, we should say, from the inside out, you know. Um, so the whole aspect of uh, cultures with uh, absentee parents, absentee fathers, uh, uh, strict, or should I say, uh, effective mother figures. <laughs> I was raised by a very strong mother of four. Uh, tell you a quick story and I'll try to keep uh, them few and far between. Uh, my parents divorced early when I was, uh, you know, they separated when I was when I was a preteen and was finally divorced probably somewhere when I was a teenager. Um, but in my eyes, I have three brothers and sisters, and it was always the four of us and mom. Now, don't get me wrong; you know, you, you know as well as anyone, I idolized my dad. Uh, he's doing well, by the way. Good, good. <laughs> um, I idolized my dad, but I always used to say when my mom was still with us. Uh, Mom, you know, I, I admire all single mothers, you know, because you were the role model raising us by yourself. And she would always correct me and say, I didn't raise y'all by by myself. Your dad was there. I was like, yeah, but only up until 
you know, so it was, I, I took that as it was such a, that's what you're supposed to do, you know, moment for her that she didn't even think about it in terms of how many years did we raise them, raise our kids together? How many years did I do it by myself? You know, how long did it take me to get over divorce and things like that? She just knew, or should I say accepted her role that I'm mama, these are my kids. And regardless of what me and their father, um, our arc as two crazy mixed up kids who got married and then had kids um, and then grew apart. It, it didn't matter when it came to her recognizing her role as mother. So I think before I even got to my, before I even get to my next question, I just realized that probably the strong bond between you and I uh, only having been friends for a relatively short period of time um, is, is the fact that we're both huge advocates for women. And we're going to come back around to that because I have my questions and uh, I already have enough trouble uh, staying focused. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to follow your example and, and, and keep and stick to my notes. But um, my next question, uh, given everything that you told us so far, uh, would be so at the point where you stopped in in your introduction of yourself where are we in your life did all of the, did all of that just end a few years ago are you still in the midst of it did you have another milestone that moved you into whatever that whatever Sarah Bush, whoever Sarah Bush is right now today? That's a great question. So when I left the gang intervention, it was because I was asked by Wackenhut Corrections Corporation to come down to the Lockhart area. They have a state facility in Lockhart and they had 500 men on one side of the building and they were going to be bringing in 500 women on the other side as well as opening up a juvenile facility in Bront, which is outside of San Angelo, of uh, juvenile females, and um, needed someone that had programmatic design, such as what I did with the gang intervention, that I could transition that into the adult facility as well as the juvenile facility for change. And so I was brought down here originally as a program designer for the women's unit which once we got all that complete, it could then be transferred over to the men's side as well. So I worked with education, I worked with substance abuse, I worked with vocational training, all the different elements that were important to me to set up a successful transition program for the inmates once they left. And I can't say enough good stuff about Wackenhut. I, I highly respect them, I dearly love them. Um, and it really wasn't um, that that made me leave. But at the end of six months, that facility had a main warden and two assistant wardens. So I was asked by the warden to go into the warden training program um, of the assistant warden program for Wackenhut, which I did for three years. Wow. And had a phenomenal opportunity to not only work 
with the women, but also to work with the security to understand that when you work with individuals such as women, especially that have been abused, the tone of your voice or your physical action towards them, if they have done something wrong, is aggressive behavior in their books. And so they go into a flashback. And you can see it in their eyes where if you have them go up against the wall, which if they're doing something inappropriate, you have them step back and go up against the wall so that they're not in the way of anybody. And security is standing, you know, maybe six, seven feet from them until they can cool down. Well, the problem is they're not present to the incident. They're present to the flashback. Wow. And so not only did I work with security and understanding the cultural diversities that occur, especially with women and the triggers that cause them to get emotional or reactive, you know, or much like when you get outside the prison, <laughs> women are complex. <laughs> There's no question about it. And we can be reactive, but when you put women in a confined place like that, um, they can be a little aggressive and, and so the gift was for me to be able to say to security, can we just spend five minutes standing here and everybody take a deep breath and take a look at having security understand that only because this woman has been locked up doesn't mean that she's um, bad. She's just made a mistake and got caught for it. But when I did public conversations about getting volunteers to come in and volunteer with the inmates, I had them have to understand that there's not one of us that has ever been perfect. And the example I always give is stop and think about it. Do you think the Pope has ever picked up something that belonged to somebody else and didn't return it? <laughs> a pen, you know, a pen from the bank. You all of a sudden get it home and it says, oh, this bank name. Well, did he take it back and return it? Probably not. <laughs> or has anybody ever written a hot check, whether it was intentional or a mistake? Absolutely. And so when we take a look, how many times, perfect example, I was at Lowe's not too long ago, bought something, and they gave me too much money back. Uh -huh. I got out to my car, and I looked at the ticket, and I looked at the change, and they gave me $5 too much. And I took it back, and I said, here's my ticket. Here's the money you gave me back. You gave me too much. Here's the $5 back. And she was like, really? <laughs> and I said, well, was wrong. But sometimes when we get out to our car and we realize there's still a grocery piece in our basket that we didn't pay for, do we take it back in? That's criminal thinking. <laughs> it's just that we look at it as, well, since I'm not locked up, I, had, I didn't do anything wrong and I've probably spent enough money in a grocery store or in Lowe's to just wipe it away. No, that's where the behavior starts. And changes occur with people that start thinking it's okay to do that. So we're talking ra rationalization on various scales. Or justification. justification. Yeah, justification. Oh, well, I'm justified to do that. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm tired. Of, oh, like for me, it's 104 degrees outside. And yes, I could go back in and give them their $5 back. But then I have to walk across the parking lot. 
Yep. And it's so hot and yeah. <laughs> so, so did you did you manage to teach a new um a new class of 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 guards or overseers or uh COs? Correction CEOs, officers. Correct, yeah. Correction officers. Mm-hmm. Were you able to, uh, were you in charge of training them to take in what you're talking about, understanding that aspect that when you are dealing with incarcerated women, that when something aggressive happens to them, they most likely will flash back to that moment or that person that was not so good to them. And that's what kind of sparks uh, an, an unproportionate or disproportionate reaction to them. Were you able to teach that to them or this is just, I, a, 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 this is how you handle things? No, wh- that's a two loaded question. I'll answer it both ways. <laughs> yes, I did do some of the training during the time that they were in the 30 day training. Um, with the cultural diversity, how to work with women. Um, there's no question oh. about that. Oh, okay. But I also found working on the floor and watching what was going on was at a place where I went back to the big warden and said, do I have permission to do this? Because it's not okay. And mm-hmm. um, I'm going to be as much an advocate for the inmates as I am going to be for the security officers. Was he receptive a, to that? Absolutely. Only because he was an inmate security officer kind of warden anyway. Mm-hmm. That doesn't always happen. And um, sometimes you just have a warden that's strictly for COs and that's it. And that's okay, but that's not what we were doing here. And so for the three and a half years I was here at the prison was a wonderful, wonderful time. It was a great experience. But my reason for leaving wasn't because of the organization I worked for. It was because I felt I could make changes within the state's criminal justice mandates on the outside because I couldn't do it as an employee. And so I have been an advocate for criminal change with different individuals having to do with laws and changes that need to happen for the benefit of the inmate population as well as um, proper training for security officers. So um, I just felt, you know, it was kind of a God thing. I just said, when you feel my time is up, then um, I'll transition into the healing center I want to create, which is what I've been doing for 23 years. And that is the Sarah Bush in Lockhart that um, not only works with um autoimmune disorders. I specialize in trauma. And so um, if it is a body work issue, issue, then I spend time helping to balance that. But more more importantly, is understanding why the imbalance occurs. And it could be emotional, could be physical, it could be spiritual. But we all have a tendency to affect our body, especially with autoimmune disorders, because of the stress or the anger or the fear that we hold inside our organs and it then constitutes a breakdown and people need help. 
But in addition to that, I also do life coaching, which I've done life coaching all over the world um, and seminars where I'm interested in really inviting people to know that the only person that really makes any kind of change at all in their life is themselves. And so if somebody comes into me and says, I need you to fix me, I always say to them, you might want to leave. <laughs> I'm going to empower you to know that you're the only person that can do that. And I may offer some tools for you to work with, but there's nobody that can fix somebody else. You can only fix yourself. Well, and so I do a lot of education. I do a lot of, especially during this COVID, I've had people calling me all day long going, okay. I even had somebody as I was standing out in front of my yard yesterday, putting my garbage out, who drove by and said, can I have a drive-by, uh, you know, conversation with you? I've got this pain in my neck. Can you tell me how to deal with it? <laughs> <laughs> and she's, she works at Walgreens. And so she had to go back to work. She couldn't, just stay there. And I said, here's what I want you to do when you get back to work. And one of the suggestions I made was that at least once an hour or every hour and a half, that one employee walks around the outside of the building to get the sunshine for one and two, release stress and then come back in. We all need to take a look at how we deal with the confinement and the stress in our life right now. But more importantly, on an everyday basis, how are you going to make changes that better your wellness and your individual balance. Absolutely. And we definitely are going to get into that. Um, you've been in Lockhart for 23 years. No, 29, 29 years. Going um, on 29. Yeah. 29. And years. it's the Sarah Bush wellness center. It's just Sarah Bush, just Sarah Bush. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, you say wellness center and people think that they have to be sick to come in. Ah. And so I have two clients that are seniors. One has passed away who decided that my sign out in front of my building wasn't good enough. So they came and interviewed me to see all the different things that I do. And then they went home and in metal cut out the words of everything I do. And I have this gargantuous, yellow sign out in front of my office that says Sarah Bush enlists everything I do. Oh, and that I'm, was their gift to me. I'm going to have to find that online <laughs> and yeah. uh, maybe, maybe insert the image in this podcast. Perhaps I'll take a picture and send it to you. Oh, okay, cool. That, that'll yeah. be cool. Yeah. Um, for those of you who just joined us, this is the uh, quite honest uh, podcast uh, normally with uh, David Chappella and Sarah Bush. Uh, I am uh, the voice uh, that you hear on other podcasts, introduction and telling you where you can find these beautiful, beautiful people. Uh, you can find David Trapella at aquietplace.net and Sarah Bush at the new and may I say gorgeous website, uh, sarahbush.net. Um and you're Philip Redman. <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, you are. Uh, in preparing for this uh, conversation, uh, I started getting kind of excited. And I'm, I'm actually kind of looking forward to uh, our plans for you to actually interview me. But not today. Today, it's all about Sarah, uh, known in uh, the 
at a quiet place as uh, our mama bear who takes care of us in a you know almost all male uh, organization or collective. Um, I was going to ask a question after you being in Lockhart uh, and you are uh, there, um, but you do have clients that are in other places, correct? That's correct. Um, I want you to hear something. To heal your heart is to heal your body. It takes courage, faith, and belief that you are worthy of a greater life full of abundance, joy, and love. This path will take you, uh, this path will, uh, the path you take is how to read. This path you will take is how to redesign the action inside of you for your divine self. This is my prayer and hope for you. Who said that? I did. Yes, you did. I did not realize after knowing you for quite a while now how much of who you are and what you do you uh, have as a cornerstone faith. I know you to be a very spiritual woman, a very kind woman, a very generous woman, a very intelligent woman. Um, and just because I've said it time and time again, but in the, the shadow of the Me Too movement, I have no qualms of saying a very beautiful woman. Thank you. But that's because I tell you all the time, I have no fear. So anyway. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yes, a woman always likes to hear it. You know, and, and we could we could have a whole nother podcast about life. Oh, I we're going to come around to that. We're going to get around to that. But with everything that you've done and everything that you are doing, how in the world did you meet David Drapella, your partner in crime? That's a wonderful, wonderful day. I have a client that has a development in Niederwald. And um, my client invited me to a neighborhood gathering, and he has a band and they all come in from out of state and around the state and they were going to play for the neighborhood association of all the houses in his development. But more importantly, they were also going to have the kids learn how to play the instruments that they had there and they got to sing a song also. And so David, the other David wanted me to be there. And so I'm sitting there and this couple comes and sits right over by me and I introduced myself and, and um, David Drapella and his lady friend introduced themselves and we get into a talk. And the next thing I know, I am sitting next to David Drapella and for the next two and a half hours, we are caught up in this incredible conversation about God, about spirituality, about near-death experiences, around um, being of this world, but not of this world. Um, every single conversation around healing and the ability for one to heal themselves. And it was just a love relationship immediately. And so we agreed at the end of that two and a half hours that we would get together for coffee. And so a couple of weeks later, it just was in my face to call David. And so I called him and we met at Starbucks in uh, Buda and for the next, I think it was three hours, we were caught up again in this whole conversation about 
all the writings that he does and the places that he's been and the death of his wife and the eight and a half years of traveling on the water and places I've been around the, the world and the places he's been. And it was just like, we were soulmates from way back when that were needing to be reconnected because we both have a place in our heart where we wanted to share not only the healing part of the heart, but to truly share the elements and the aspects of love and how we need to come from compassion to create that. And so I'm the one that dogged him. Literally, he kept talking about, <laughs> he kept talking about all of y'all. And I kept saying, I really want to meet this production group. And he was going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll make sure that happens. I'll make sure. Finally, one day I said, David, I'm coming to your house because I know that the group's going to be there. You already told me I'm coming. And he goes, come tomorrow. And that's when you and I met the next day with David. And that's where the whole design, and we'd met a couple of times before that, but I was literally dogging him saying, I know we're supposed to be doing something together. And, you know, maybe part of the connection, you know, that God brings people, you know, everything's synchronistic and, and maybe part of um, who I am in David's world is um, to communicate differently than what he does. Some of the things he says, but more importantly, the path that we both want to create in a quiet place is um, someplace where people can not only grow, um, learn to receive wisdom, but the opportunity to own what they do and it be a value and maybe even participate in a quiet place. How so lovely and well put um, a quiet place is a collective slash platform slash safe place for thought, uh, opinions, art, music, uh, uh, spoken word, uh, healing, advice. Uh, all of that was just in its infancy when you did come over that fateful day. Matter of fact, uh, our first meeting was at a kitchen table, which in my opinion is how all great uh, stories start. <laughs> well, not only that, but you knew nothing about me. And I was actually supposed to bring somebody that y'all were going to meet. That's right. As an opportunity to be part of a quiet place. And his mother-in-law died that morning and he couldn't come. And so I came and so you were saying, well, one of the things we need to do is bring him in and dad, and we want to talk about kids and we want to talk about family and music. And I'm like, Phil, do you know who I am and what I do and what my background <laughs> is? Am I not correct on that? And for the next couple of hours, that's what we talk about. You are absolutely correct, which is why, you know, most, most of our podcasts here and quite honest, kind of consists of you kind of guiding people through and 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 getting information out of them. I wanted everyone to hear exactly the way I heard, maybe just a little bit less embarrassingly. So <laughs> because because this is what happened, and now we're gonna just get real. Uh our fearless leader, David Trapella, is a very personable person. And 
when he and I started talking about uh, what we started out in the beginning was to share his music and his writings with, um, we weren't even thinking in terms of an audience, but just sharing it, you know? And uh, of course, with him being now uh, a very young, 82 years young, uh, I introduced him to the internet and social media. So once that kind of grabbed a hold of him, uh, his, 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 his mind kind of expanded both uh, in, in, in reality of what he knew and what could, what could possibly be for the future. So it was a little bit much for him. So he had me meeting all of these different people and some of them were, uh, it was understandable. This is a, a guy that, you know, does production and engineering. And yes, he eventually became our engineer uh, that does all of our recordings. And this uh, lady is uh, an author from Florida. And you go, yeah, we're interested in books, but then I haven't seen her or <laughs> heard anything else about her. So when you came along, I was kind of like in... Uh, I was I was in I was in auto vetting mode. That's what I was, and uh, that's why I was so red faced when you started telling me who you were and what you did. And I kind of looked at David like uh, I really would have appreciated. Look, I really would have appreciated the heads <laughs> up because <laughs> I believe he was sitting to my right. I really would have appreciated the heads up. But uh, we became friends anyway, and like I said, I I love you know just to hear you talk, whether it's about you, about me, about everything that's wrong with me, about <laughs> what I need to do to fix stuff. But we'll, we'll get back to that. But with all of that said, is there anything in particular that, that, that was presented to you about a quiet place that appealed to you specifically? What appealed to you with regards to what it was that we, at that time, we're just planning on doing. I think for me, being someone that's alone, is that you all are an extended family to me. You know, there's a, there's a family there that David has created by bringing in you and me and Carl and Gabe and Sean. And every one of us brings something different to the message. And for me, the opportunity to really get out there and, and share from my heart, same with David, the things that we think are so needed right now that people are looking for. It's kind of like this hole that's just swirling around that you see sometimes on TV. There's some park that has this hole that swirls and it's just this deep hole. And I think that that's sometimes where people are in their life and they don't know how to either get out of that circle and they feel like they're sinking or that they are truly committed to stepping out and looking at what's out there in the social media that has them go, oh, that makes sense to me. I'll put that little bit of wisdom in my wagon. 
because my wagon is full of things that no longer serve me. And so I think that for all of us, you and everybody on the team, we're wanting something unique. I'm not going to say magical, but I'm going to say unique, both spiritually and emotionally, that reaches out to people and says, here we are, and we're not like anybody else, and we don't want to be like anybody else. But we do have something to say, and it's going to be on every aspect of what I say is the rainbow of spirituality, and that is music, the heart of poetry, the words of wisdom, the forms of teaching, the forms of reaching out to people, but more importantly, searching for those things that people are looking for. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and uh, there are many of us at A Quiet Place, and, and we each take turns trying to um, put it into a, a, a verbal frame that we could present to people, and I don't think it, that could have been said any 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 better um can y'all tell how much i love sarah bush okay um but i love you look um all of this was already in the works we were already gung-ho moving forward like you said as a family loving each other and producing content and just getting ready to take the world by storm and then the world stopped, not literally and not by any means spiritually, but uh, maybe I should say the world got its uh, brakes applied or somebody hit the brakes. I mean, we're all in timeout. We're all in timeout. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true mama bear. Look, COVID-19, we've done several podcasts with regards to it uh, from the very um, thorough medical observation um, to the uh, aspects of how it affects people personally. Um, but how you, you live alone as I do. That's correct. Um, I'm sure you enjoy your home life and your surroundings just like I do. Yes. But when the COVID-19 hit, and I'm going to use the words when it hit, um, we know we're not going to get into who should have said what, when, and how fast anybody should have moved. But when it hit, and um, we live in Texas, of course, uh, me and Austin, um, the center of the state, so once it started that we were going to be um, shelter in place and limit your movements and social distancing, once all of that hit, how did it change your life as someone who um, is um, a self-made woman, a business owner, um, a single um, you know, uh, dwelling person, and you know, as as a as a, a what I re, uh, regard as a very very healthy person, you know, uh, the COVID nineteen um, awareness rode on the heels of people who should be 
most on guard are pre-existing conditions and the elderly. Uh, we know that now that it affects young people as well. It, basically, it affects anybody and everybody. Anybody and everybody can get it. However, I haven't heard about very many straight up healthy people, you know, with no underlying conditions and want to hear, um, wanted to hear the mindset of someone who knows I, I have no underlying conditions and I know that I could still possibly get it. And so I'm going to still social distance, but they very rarely share the perspectives of people who are like, I least I'm least likely to get it. So this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm doing. This is why I still choose to be, you know, responsible. And uh, I think that, I think that, that uh, that's something that people would like to hear about. You know, I, I thoroughly enjoy my environment wherever I am. It doesn't make any difference if it's in my home or if it's um, here. And I don't refer to this building that I come to every day as my office. I come to uh, the place where it's most like a sanctuary. It's a place for uh, people to feel safe. And, and so when COVID-19 hit, I turned off the national news because to me, it screws up my vibration. It screws up my energy. It's everybody's opinion. It's everybody's agenda. And I can't support that. And so for me, it's an opportunity to take a look at what, you know, when something like this happens or when something, even 9-11 or the Oklahoma bombing or any of the, the deaths and murders at schools and things like that, I always step back and say, what, Lord, are we to learn from this? Because anything that happens, there is an opportunity to reassess what we weren't paying attention to. And um, we all get comfortable. We don't like change. And so on one level, I have to think that, you know, God just isn't real happy with what, what the direction <laughs> is that we're all going. And so he just put the brakes on, as you say, and put us all in time out. And in some situations, that's probably the best thing that could happen for all of us to really kind of um, come down to earth. Because I think that with the internet and with the phone systems and with all the social media, everybody was someplace else at a different vibration than being on earth's vibration and being present to people. I absolutely agree. I, um, you know, being an, uh, a, a musician and an entertainer for all, all my life, uh, I consider myself not to be very many things. I'm not very political. Um, I believe that I am spiritual. However, I am not as well versed uh, in the Bible as I would like to be. <laughs> That's just me. It's just kind of a connection to my to my uh, uh, past and my family and my in my history. But I, I, I felt all my life that I kind of you know lived on the, on the periphery of you know all of these different bubbles that people you know live in. I, I, I'm not married. I don't have any kids myself. So you know the whole that whole side of family life eluded me as well. 
But I couldn't help but feel for many, many years that something was coming. You know, that, that, that spiritual side of me um, that said, you know, that does know uh, about, um, you know, the, the, everything that's happened in the Bible and, and uh, prophecies that were set forth in that, um, that entertainment, uh, entertainer in me that's seen the ebb and flow of uh, people uh, being uh, respectful and, uh, uh, and, and, and just, there was a, you know, people tease about the eighties, but the eighties were much, you know, they may not have been classy in clothing <laughs> or, uh, 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 media, uh, as far as TV and movies and stuff like that, but being on the front lines of interacting with people night after night, there was a civility. That's the word I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. There was a civility there that started eroding in the nineties. And so, you know, this buildup of an understanding at 55 years old that, yeah, things are going to get out of hand if something big doesn't happen. And, and that's the way it literally uh, would come, you know, into my mind from time to time. And, and I'm a huge moviegoer. I mean, I love movies. And so, I stopped watching apocalyptic doomsday movies years ago because I want to keep, you know, keep my vibration positive. With the exception of a couple, you know, uh, there, you know, there are a couple of good ones like uh, uh, Outbreak and uh, Will Smith and I Am Legend, you know, which reminded me of Mad oh, Max. Yeah. But the ones that, you know, that start out letting you know that, okay, look, the world is over. And it's not going to come back. But watch this movie for the next two hours. And I'm like, no. <laughs> so uh, if we go back now and watch all of the movies, there's a movie on Netflix right now that's actually titled Pandemic. And I understand, uh, I think Gwyneth Paltrow is in one that's supposed to be really good. Um, so art imitates life. Life imitates art. Um Oh, one of my favorites when once this all started, and I can't believe I'm get, finally getting the chance to to share it with everyone. Uh, if anyone out there has ever read Stephen King's The Stand, uh, oh my gosh. I mean, it is, you know, a more extreme version of what we're going through, but the beginnings of it are almost identical. Um, but when um, it started becoming apparent that something, to me, that something was going to happen. I hope I was hoping that it wasn't uh, uh, the uh, um, the rapture. <laughs> Who I drew a blank there for a moment. My grandmother would have killed me. <laughs> I was hoping it wouldn't be the rapture as foretold in the Bible. But here it is: this um, thing that human beings have been dealing with uh, since the dawn of man, which is. Uh, viruses, you know, and uh, certain, uh, different levels of illness, and for this one to take hold and for it to be able to, and for the most part has affected everyone, did not see that coming. I didn't see that coming. I'm sure a lot of people did this. Apparently, only Dr. Fauci, uh, sorry, no, I'm only kidding, but I'm totally with you you immediately turned off the television. I, I limit myself to 
three, three or four minute updates on YouTube like every other day. So in other words, I, I limit my consumption of COVID-19 information, but. I don't how, limit myself to the information. I pay attention to the respectable information mm -hmm. that has science and um, testing behind it. And at this particular time, it's not Fauci. And I'm sorry, but it's not. But it's people that I say are more credible to the years and years and years of research that they've done, not just on 19, COVID-19, but in general. Oh, I agree with you paths and mm -hmm. that's who I pay attention to and not uh, someone's opinion because now they're on TV. I, I, I agree with you. I, I just, I just mentioned him um, mostly because uh, just like, like I said, being an entertainer, you're always going to hang your hat uh, on the person who's in your face the most, but I am aware I have currently, I've recently become aware that there are a lot more people who are much more informed uh, than Anthony Fauci before all of this started. So you're right. I, we do want to give them their due. And, and they but, were. But I want to ask you a question. Have you ever seen the movie Clockwork Orange? Of course. Classic. Okay. But stop and think about what that was. It was a form of brainwashing. Absolutely. That's, that's my term. But that's what it was. Well, if you take a look, and this is just my personal opinion, and since I'm on camera, I'm going to go ahead and say it. <laughs> you take a look at the games and the movies that are so violent, and you wonder why kids learn how to do what they do. And, Here we go. And then, okay, and then all of a sudden you look at you know, Schwarzenegger and Tom Cruise and all these people that get up after they die, and they go on to make money and and you see them on the golf course, whatever. Kids don't realize that when they shoot that gun, it's permanent. So we're so we're so we're back to kids today understand what they see that, in that, front of them. Right. That that there are consequences, but don't necessarily associate that with being wrong. Okay, if I if I take this car. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> I don't know if there'll be any kind of copyright uh, uh, pop-ups on our podcast. But if I take this car and I jump in it and threw somebody out of the driver's seat, there's a chance that the police will get behind me. There's a, there's a chance that I'll get into a chase with the police. And that ought to be fun. I get to drive real fast and I'll avoid this person. I'll maybe, maybe hit a garbage can or two. And then get out, and then I'll be arrested. Then I get to do it all over again. Yeah, because all they'll that, do is spank me. Right. You know, they'll they'll spank my hand. I pay a fine, and I get out. Or if I die in a car crash, in a fiery car crash, I'll just get a new life. That's right. <laughs> we we could go on and on about that. So, uh, with regards to uh, COVID nineteen, our, our our hearts go out to families in. Uh, uh, who have lost people as a result of it, people who are recovering from it, as well as those on the front lines, uh, doctors and nurses, uh, and medical caregivers. I mean, we can't say enough. Both Sarah and I know a ton of medical professionals who are on the front lines. And it's, it's tough to 
stay positive. Just, I mean, we have our different approaches, but I think that the biggest thing, the most important thing that any one of us can do individually is to work to stay positive. Everyone concentrates on stress and, you know, a lot of people concentrate on keeping up with your routine and all of those are great pieces of advice. I think that what should be at the center of it is trying to stay positive. How do you? You know, I just did um, a series this week having to do with um, fear versus fact. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I, I, think, <laughs> I think what's important is that, you know, so many times we make a story out of a situation and then we blow it up into being a situation that's really kind of scary or that it really emotionally affects us versus the fact is we have a virus. We've been asked to be social distancing. We've been asked to wash our hands and to take precautionary measures all the way around us. Well, you know what? We should have been doing that anyway. Um, The (laughs) truth is viruses happen all the time. And we should not just be paying attention to COVID-19, but we should be taking healthy paths in the future to better feed ourselves, to exercise, to uh, do mindfulness stuff. Even if it's five minutes of sitting out on your chair in the backyard under a tree, just really being present to nature. But for me, not paying attention to all the trauma and drama in the media is how I stay positive because the truth is my faith is so strong and the ultimate guy upstairs, you know, he's in charge and that's where I'm going to put my faith. And I may not have the armor to keep from getting a virus of any kind. I may not have the armor to get, Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or heart problems or cancer or any of those things, but I do have an opportunity and an obligation to myself to love me first. And in doing so, the only way your vibration in your body stays up is for you to stay joy filled and positive. You get down, you get depressed, you get dark and your body's going to pay for it. And so I choose to, yeah, client, called me the other day and said, how are you doing? I said, great. And he said, you just make me sick. You're always saying that. Do you ever have down moments? I said, yep, had one this morning for about 30 seconds. And it's (laughs) because I couldn't find my glasses. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it's all in how you wake up, how you put your feet on the floor. And for me, it's to give gratitude all day and to be present to the things that are around us. Because you know what? We are so blessed. Absolutely. You and I are on so on the same page Um, and in our uh, conversations that we've had uh, both personally and professionally, you you, uh, uh, mirror those same um, those same beliefs and that same advice uh, to me whenever you see me. not moving so swiftly or, you know, coming in after a rough day of uh, one of my many, many, many (laughs) medical visits. Uh, But 
all of that is advice and 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 uh, positive uh, uh, feedback that you share. And like you said, you share with someone on the phone, one of your clients. Um, many medical professionals these days have uh, embraced what we're doing right now, which mm -hmm. is uh, uh, video conferencing with their clients and patients. Um, in your practice, is that a tool that you've adopted and that has helped you reach out to them, even though a lot more of your um, your practice deals with uh, actual hands-on uh, interaction with them? During this whole COVID thing, I have taken it upon myself to pick up the phone and call people. Um, not everybody has a computer, so you can't do FaceTime. Or some of my clients wouldn't have a clue how to do FaceTime if I showed them on the phone. Um, nothing wrong with that. It's just that they're not savvy in that area. Um, I have done some Zooms with different folks um, in different states that email me and say, you know, I'm not okay. And so we Zoom and go into a coaching session that has them um, just have um, tools, different tools right now about what's going to happen in the future versus what was yesterday, because yesterday isn't going to happen. But I think that what's even more important in our conversations, especially with my married couples that are struggling right now, is um, new levels of communication new levels of speaking from the heart instead of the head. And so if I can zoom that, um, then I can see how everybody's responding to the things that I either share or the questions I ask that they become uncomfortable with. But, um, you know, it's on the phone, it's out in front. I have some clients that do come by here. Um, we do social distancing or if it's, that they're really not okay. Um, I'm sorry, you know, the governor can hang me upside down, but um, my oath is to serve um, those that truly come in. And if they're in a place where they can't move, I'm going to help them move. Well, that's um, so commendable. And uh, just like everyone else that we thanked earlier, the uh, doctors and nurses, uh, people um, in your profession and, and, those who may not wear a cap and gown and scrubs and, and those type of things that are still helping people to feel better uh, deserve as much um, um, goodwill and uh, blessings towards you as well. Um, well, you know, Philip, there are so many people all over the world doing outrageous stuff to help their community, their neighborhood. I don't care what it is. They're doing stuff. Absolutely. And, 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 yeah, and one I, of the things that amazed me, I'm sorry to cut you off, one of the things that amazed me is how creative everyday, what I call everyday normal, you know, people who may not have previously explored the artistic side uh, come up with things as well as people who have more of a giving heart that they may have not been aware of. 
and suddenly say to themselves, you know, my elderly neighbor next door has been nothing but mean and rotten to me ever since I moved in here, but I have extra toilet paper and I'm going to go next door <laughs> and make sure that she has enough. Please continue with what you were going to say. You know, I have to tell this and probably going to be a little off color, but it was so priceless. And I can't remember who the actor was that was being interviewed the other night, but they said, you know, what is your opinion about the toilet paper? And he said, truthfully, and the speaker said, yes. And he said, I think that the reason the toilet paper is such an issue is because COVID scared the crap out of people. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, is that not a great explanation of the toilet paper story? You knew that one was coming. I think I may have thought that myself at one point and thought, oh, that's, that's too, that's, yeah, shut up, Phil. But, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I even posted on Facebook at the very beginning when toilet paper was disappearing at rapid rates, I, I posted and I said, to all of you that are taking so many rolls of toilet paper, let me share with you. It's not going to stop you from getting the virus. <laughs> I remember seeing that. But what the funny thing, the funny thing was all of the memes, you know, both you and I have been guilty of, of sharing uh, very funny uh, memes with regards to toilet paper. And there was so many, there were so many of them. Uh, but, the giving and the sharing and the creativity and the, the people, people have become heroes who absolutely as one, I saw one uh, truck driver, one long haul truck driver um, talking about, he gets these signs in the windows and people honking, you know, thank you for, you know, keeping this country running and keeping us, you know, fed and, you know, getting supplies from one end of the country to the other. And, you know, as, as sad as it is to say, as much as it pains me to say, it is absolutely true. A lot of heroes today were the same people who were heroes two months ago that went totally invisible and totally unnoticed. So to so all well of them, so to all of them, whether they're in the spotlight today or whether they weren't in the spotlight six months ago, you know, now is the time for all of us to, to say thank you and to share love and good vibrations towards you and your families and any danger that you might be in. Absolutely. So, Very well put. So a married couple uh, reached out to you. And the question I have to ask is, have you seen an uptick in marital strife or marital bliss either way as a result of the coronavirus? And if you haven't had any personal experience, I'd love to hear what you think about uh, reports coming in that divorces are uh, rising because people are quarantined together. And I realize maybe I'm not as crazy about you as I thought I was people who are getting married sometimes because, Hey, you and I have been thinking about it this whole time. Now we're trapped together. And I think I can put up with, you know, with your stuff. <laughs> so let's go ahead and get married. Um, I, I haven't looked at all of the data yet of which is, going to be the, you know, the, the more prevailing uh, trend, but what is it that you may, you may have seen 
with regards to uh, people's uh, coupling? I think that there are a couple of things. I think we're going to see a rise in in babies. Um, (laughs) I agree wholeheartedly. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, if I could say anything towards the couples that seem to be um, having a tough time being around each other full time, is that you do get to create space, you know, find a space where one stays in one end of the house and one stays in the other end of the house. Um, or one goes outside and works in the yard and the other one takes care of business on the inside of the house, you know, whatever the case may be, but create a balance, you know, find a way to learn to miss each other. Um, you know, if things get a little tense, then take a walk. It doesn't have to be together one of y'all can go take a walk Um, or you can go run, you know, on some walking track, whatever the case may be. But, you know, it's that place where you have an opportunity to really um, learn to reestablish ground work or safe havens that you want in your life. Um, And then there are others that, their children are fixing to go off to college and, or they have gone off to college and they're stuck there. And now all of a sudden after, you know, 20 or 30 years of raising kids, they're in the same household together and they don't know each other. Yeah. And so it's an opportunity to coach them into ways to reestablish the romance or reestablish the relationship it's not going to be like it was when they got married. It can't be. You've, you've gone through a whole history of chapters in your book, and now it's a whole new chapter. And so what I say to people is, whether you are realizing that the person you're stuck with is somebody you want to marry, great, because you've learned to get to know each other. You've gone past the friendship, and now you're into the relationship stage. Or you're having to completely build a whole new palace, a whole new foundation, a whole new future um, around this person that you've really been disconnected from. And so it's an opportunity to really come into um, what you want for tomorrow. But more importantly, what is it you want today? What is it that's going to make you happy today? Um, empty nesters becoming empty nesters sooner than they planned. Divorce couples who are who are separated or thinking about getting ready for divorce, um, just saying, well, you know, let's just go ahead and do it. Uh, do you think that it'll reflect any kind of surge because of the coronavirus or are we just really talking about life in general the way it is and someone's just uh in in their attempt to uh, occupy their mind starting to focus on that data i you know philip i really can't answer that and the only reason i say that i can't answer that is that now that the states are kind of talking about opening things up again and creating a different synergy it is a i think it's going to lessen the amount of anxiety and maybe it's not going to be quite so bad um to go a whole nother month being quarantined um you know some of the states are opening gyms up the the you know the whole voting last night having to do with football 
men are being able to say, oh, life might just come back into action again. You know, whatever the case may be, there's a light, there's a light at the end of the tunnel and maybe it's not going to be so bad. Maybe now that we're out of the spring and the fall and the weather's changing and it's getting a little nicer and we can get out, you know, maybe it's not going to be so bad. As far as those that are separated or have custody issues with kids, I know that's been an issue. Um, but, you know, they're also having to work things out. They're having to communicate and share on a whole different level that they weren't willing to do otherwise because they were getting a divorce or they were divorced or um, they were in a relationship with somebody else and now they're all of a sudden having to deal with um, a whole different aspect of their past. Everybody's getting to take inventory on things that were working and not working in their life. And that's how I'm going to add that. You're abs- you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I wasn't trying to uh, trip you up with a trick question. I was oh, really no, curious Oh, no, I didn't see myself. that at all. Yeah. But, but every time when I just ask the question that's on my mind, you make me, this whole conversation uh, have made me think about uh, some aspect of it that I didn't think about before. Whereas, yeah, someone could, po- could concentrate on the negative and say, um, more divorces or could concentrate on the positives and just say more marriages, but just the, the fact that two people who really needed to reexamine their relationship, get a chance under somewhat extreme circumstances <laughs> to really ex- reexamine their, their relationship. So who knows how many marriages may be saved as a, re- as a result of, of uh, the coronavirus and, you know, maybe some people come to the realization that, you know, because we spent so much time apart in our marriage, we didn't realize now that we have to be together that we really weren't compatible, you know? Uh, Very, very interesting. Almost as interesting as the fact that they had the NFL draft last night. They actually did it, huh? Yeah. I started it. I said, I said I wanted to kind of possibly see that I'm not a big sports guy, but I kind of wanted to see, the thing about, you know, them showing the commissioner and then the player and then, the, you know, and, you know, what that Zoom would look like. Because there have been a lot of, you know, really creative uh, things. Uh, a lot of my favorite talk shows, uh, uh, late night talk shows. I've learned a lot about the different hosts. Some of them, uh, I'll, I'm going to say it, some of them survived being able to look right at a camera and there'd not be an audience, you know, uh, supporting their humor. And it still made me laugh. And some of them that you realize really kind of relied on that reaction and just kind of look at, just kind of look at the, look at the camera like Rodney Dangerfield, you know, mm-hmm. getting no respect. So, uh, but we spent uh, uh, a, a good conversation about, uh couples and uh, relationships in COVID-19. Did, did, did we already do a podcast on that? Did you guys do a podcast on relationships during the coronavirus? Uh, no. Okay. No. What we did was have a conversation um, around uh, what we need to do to be in a better place during 
the the actual quarantine uh-huh. and how we needed to come from that place of love and um, especially in the areas of abuse um, making sure that people were safe um, oh absolutely that was uh, that was one of our first ones once, yes. as soon as the the virus hit. Right. Um, and we do have uh, in our uh, a bag of tricks <laughs> archives a hilarious, in my opinion, a candid conversation about sex and intimacy, which uh, may see the light of day, oh, just sometime in the not too distant future. But um, <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> I think that it would be well. I don't know if it would be worth an entire podcast, but uh, maybe we should look into that. Um, Sarah Bush is at sarahbush.net and you can find her uh, partner in crime and our founder, David Trapella at uh, aquietplace.net as well as uh, a quiet place YouTube channel. Um, Sarah, what is your Facebook page? Is it, is it Sarah Bush? ATX. Oh, Sarah Bush, ATX, uh, Sarah Bush's Facebook. Uh, David Chappelle's Facebook is Quiet Man David um, or David the Quiet Man uh, on Facebook. Uh, They're both on uh, Instagram, social media. And uh, an audio version of this podcast uh, is available on Stitcher and uh, Google Play, as well as uh, Spotify, Anchor.fm. Uh, iHeartRadio, and pretty much everywhere you consume your podcasts, as well as the video version of this podcast being available on YouTube. So with that said, I think that we could possibly have an entire conversation about romance during the time of Corona, as well as after Corona. Now, absolutely. Somebody may say, oh, everybody's doing a podcast on uh, romance and Corona. I don't know why they have to be that person, but (laughs) you may say that there are a lot of podcasts uh, that are talking about romance uh, in the time of Corona and after Corona. But there's no such thing as too many differences of opinion, because after all, how many love songs are there in the world? Right. That's right. And I think what's more important is that instead of it just being about the coronavirus, during the time that we are in this space and time, whether it's quarantined or whether we're feeling um, like we are in a dark place, is the opportunity to say, you know what, tomorrow, I can design tomorrow any way I want. Absolutely. You've got a whole new canvas Absolutely. And, and I don't know about anybody else, but I, when I came to that realization, I became excited. You Absolutely. Know? I mean, Absolutely. If, if you're like me and pretty much spent your whole life being a hopeless romantic, then you were kind of in the minority. And, you know, let's be real, you know, in recent years, romance, you know, kind of, uh, it kind of came a little scarce and, and even people, you know, men and women of a certain age, you know, uh, society pretty much had them resolved to thinking that, oh, well, you know, my, uh, 
my flirting days are over. And unless someone just walks right in front of me and say, hey, you're not doing nothing, I'm not doing nothing, let's get together. That was kind of like the mentality. I can't speak for everyone, but that was kind of the mentality at 55 years old that was starting to kind of creep up on me. Whereas uh, when I started thinking about what life may look like after the coronavirus, I thought about it. It's like, you know what, like you said, people uh, uh, are going to be excited about going back outside into the sunshine. It was very easy in the beginning for them to tell us to stay stay inside uh, here in Texas, in Central Texas especially, because almost the entire months of March uh, February and March were just gray and gloomy and a lot of times wet and people would open up their windows and say, I'm, I can't go anywhere. And because the governor said so, and they would look outside and go, eh, not a bad idea, but the sun is shining today. And I'm sure there's going to be, a, there's going to be a lot more uh, in, in the future. And so once I realized getting back out in the sun, there are going to be ladies jogging up and down my neighborhood and walking their dogs. <laughs> and, you know, uh, we, we uh, know that social distancing uh, in some form or another is going to remain. However, um, there will be some way to be able to say, hey, uh, and I don't mean for this to sound off color, but to say, hey, I've been tested and, you know, here's my health card and how about we go out on a date and, you know, show me your card and, you know, two people can sit at a table together that's, you know, less than six feet apart when they both know that they've either been tested, you know, God willing that the tests become available or can say I had it, now I have antibodies. Anyway, whatever that's going to look like, I believe that there's going to be a rebirth in romance. There. I said it. Hopefully I'm right. (laughs) Well, I think that there are going to be enough people that are tired of being alone and haven't enjoyed the quarantine to where they're going to be looking for somebody that they can share their life with because where they were wasn't comfortable. You know, I think ever since... um, uh, was it 1968 or 1969? That was the summer of love. I believe it was 69, right? I think so. I, I think ever since 1969, uh, this country has been dying for an excuse for there to be another summer of love. <laughs> and I think that just might be the summer of 2020. And and I'll tell you why. Now, now that I think about it, and I'll, and I'll be quick. Um, a friend of mine uh, in Los Angeles were talking uh, the other day about um, there's probably going to be a, a surge of what I call bedroom producers. Um, as anybody listening to this podcast probably knows, uh, just about anyone and everyone can uh, have a microphone like that one or right. this one <laughs> right. and uh, some headphones and a computer, excuse me. And if your desire is to uh, create music, you can create music. Well, you know, a lot of people probably said to themselves, well, I've got a computer and I have, you know, uh, the speakers or the headphones, but I don't have the software. Uh, I'll get into it one day. You're stuck at home. Maybe your job laid you off, unfortunately, but 
you know, I think there are going to be a lot more people who are going to take to it like, like ducks to water. So there's going to be a, a surge in music um, output and content. Um, and just like any other musical genre, <clears throat> disco, uh, there's going to be some good. <laughs> there's going to be some not so good. Uh, but I think in that uh, melange of of various degrees of of music, uh, there will be some uh, um, some some real genius to come out of it. Um, some unexpected stars, some uh, you know, sixty five, seventy five year old uh, best new artists, you know. And some 15-year-olds who really, really had a lot of time on their hands being at home in school and stuff that are, that are discovered, you know, five, six years before they normally would have. Right. So if we're talking about uh, a resurgence of romance and a resurgence of an abundance of music, 2020 might be our second summer of love. Well... You know, maybe it's just um, a cultural transformation to bring out the um, wannabes, not only in the music world, who might not make American Idol or might not make The Voice, but that can make the internet and be found, just as you said, or the artists that are now doing artwork or the 45 million exercise videos that are on the internet. Um, you can't want to, to squirm, twist, and lift. Um, but more importantly, I think that people are being able to voice the message, whatever their message is. And I've really enjoyed that. I agree. Not only, not only can they, but... They, they they are they, doing it right the, the 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 excuse not to has been has been eliminated yeah. we, all, we all pretty much use time as a uh, uh as an excuse for a lot of things master procrastinator uh we usually use that as as an excuse so like you said and i think we're just seeing like you i think we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg but it really uh upsets me that you were able to take my own statement and say it better than I did, but no. that's but that's why you, that's why you're you're the grand interviewer here at a quiet place. Uh, I've enjoyed uh, talking to you. I've enjoyed talking to you. I have too, Philip. I mean, I love are, you dearly. Thank you. I love you too, darling. Uh, for those of you who don't know, you listen to uh, you're listening to uh, Quite Honest podcast, usually with uh, Sarah Bush and David Trapella. Uh, my name is Phil Redmond. I am interviewing Sarah Bush. The uh, I, I don't want to use the word matriarch. You know, we dance around. You and I dance around labels. Uh, Mama Bear. I, I try to. Uh, yeah, I I try to uh, uh, convey my love to you and the the, the 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 enormous amount of respect that I have for you within just Thank our you. little collective. Uh, and, and so Mama Bear will be the most affectionate that I'll use. Uh, but uh, now I forgot what I was going to say about that. <laughs> uh, but uh, Sarah Bush is usually in the interview chair. You can find her at sarahbush.net. 
uh, on our brand new gorgeous website. Uh, she's usually partnered with our founder and head leader uh, slash partner in crime, the boss man, Dave Trapella, David Trapella. Uh, you can find him at aquietplace.net and uh, find them both on Facebook and various social media. Um, uh, since it's you and I, we're a large chunk of uh, uh, a quiet place. Uh, let's give a shout out to some of our favorite people in our merry little band. Uh, uh, Carl Robinson, who normally would be doing our videotaping, but we kind of, uh, uh, we didn't eliminate him, but <laughs> we're trying to do our part, social distancing and trying and to. And he's actually taping there. David today. Oh, he is. Yeah, he's he's taping David today, so he's working. Oh, he's just okay. not working on us. Oh, okay. So we're so we're really just cranking out the content here at uh, Quiet Place, and uh, of course, one Mister Gabriel Sharp, the Absolutely. man, the myth, the legend. He he's our uh, 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 social media director, and uh, I mean. Every every word of that title is him. He's social. He knows everything there is about social media, and he directs us. <laughs> yes, he does. He tells us uh, how fast uh, we're going with our content output and how slow we're going with our content output. So he ought to be really happy today with uh, all of us in front of cameras. Uh, and, of course, uh, I'm Phil Redman. I... Uh, do a lot of the executive production on our podcasts here, as well as handle a lot of the music direction. Uh, if you go to um, quietplace.net, you'll see that uh, we have uh, music and videos, which are all part of our collective, as well as going to sarahbush.net and seeing all of the wonderful things that this most capable, beautiful lady uh, has under her belt. Uh, we've had a chance to chat for a while. If you've been listening or watching this podcast, we certainly thank you. Um, so, Sarah, uh, if I were to ask you, I'd like to do this again with you, if I may. Absolutely. I'd love for us to have another conversation. What kind of what kind of topics uh, you think you and I? could handle in the not too distant future or uh, what, what subjects do you have that you'll be tackling on your own podcast? Well, I'm going to answer the first part because I think that that's really important to me. Um, I think that there's this whole conversation that I want to have, especially with you around um, wellness and the emotional aspects of how to, um, embrace the things that we do have that aren't working as well as they should, and how do we transition into a healthier body? I, you and I've had this conversation before, and I just think it's really important for people to hear that that um, there are ways to move ourselves forward health-wise and to truly live uh, a more balanced life so that we take the fear and the anger out of the emotion of the organs and fill it full of joy and love. And I know that sounds kind of hinky, but the truth is when you start identifying with the fear and the anger, 
and you allow that to heal, guess what happens on the other side? There's light. And that light is the joy and the love that occurs when you start attracting the people you want in your life. So that would be the one thing. The other thing that I'd like to have a conversation with is um, the elephant in the room, the conversation around, um, and you and I've had this conversation before, that if we turn the lights out, spiritually we're all one, but when the light's on, you're darker than I am. <laughs> and so, and so to many, the way we view other people has a lot to do with not necessarily as much prejudice as it is fear. And I, I think that we need to have that kind of hard conversation so that people get to understand that if we don't come from compassion, we're going to kill our own population just out of ignorance. Wow. Just, just on those two alone. Um, I believe that you and I, and, and any combination of, of other, uh, panelists, uh, I'm, I'm thinking that's probably going to be at least, you know, two, two podcasts, each subject. Uh, you're right. I, I know that, that, uh, that second, uh, topic came from the heart of the fact that I, uh, in my opinion, jokingly so, would uh, frequently make reference to um, the, uh, that elephant in the room, but all you know, in the name of love and joking. But may, but you know, I realize that maybe it's a it's a coping mechanism, or maybe yeah. even a, a, a nervous habit. And you and I have threatened each other before to have that conversation, and and you know, to have it on camera and in the form of a podcast, I think that there's either going to be a very long podcast or we'll just break it up into <laughs> bite-sized acceptable chunks, depending on what our, our social media director says. <laughs> you know, Phil, the truth is when we joke about something, it's usually because there's an issue especially when it's something that's like an elephant in the room. We can joke about it, but the truth is there's something on a subconscious level where it is an issue. And yes, you're right. We do joke sometimes to just kind of get beyond it, uh, make it a joke and so that we can move forward and do something else. But I always listen to those kinds of jokes and realize that there's some other underlying issue that um, needs to be loved. Well, hopefully we'll get a chance to have a, a, a frank, open discussion that would be helpful not only not only to me, uh, but we'll be able to help someone else who'd be watching and listening uh, to this podcast. And I know uh, your other um, uh, topic that's closest to your heart about wellness. <sighs> I will jump up on your examining table gladly <laughs> because you ask so nicely. But once again, that's going to be a long podcast or we're going to break it up. But uh, if you've listened this long, we certainly appreciate you listening to myself and Sarah Bush chat. This is one of the things that we love to do is just talk to each other and uh, examine not only what's going on internally, but what's going on outside in the world. And they intertwine. And uh, I 
told Sarah before we started that that's what I wanted uh, this particular podcast today to be is not an interview, but more of a conversation and less of a conversation than a chat. And so I thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you for uh, helping me to be comfortable enough to do this and for being so, so giving and generous of your time. Um, I'm very proud of you. Oh, thank you so much. No, thank you. Because <laughs> I've enjoyed this. But more importantly, we talked about it a long time ago, about the fact that we wanted to do this. And I just really honor you for being willing to do it. Well, I will be willing to do it again as long as you do me one favor. Yes, sir. Okay. I'm going to say one last time um, that this is a Quite Honest podcast with uh, David Trapella and Sarah Bush. Uh, I'm Phil Redman speaking with Sarah Bush, who you can find at sarahbush.net. You can find David at uh, quietplace.net. You can find A Quiet Place on YouTube. And you can find them both on Facebook and Instagram. Now, I'm going to sign off by letting everybody know that uh, I'm Phil Redman. It's been a joy talking to you, but would you do me the, the, the honor of signing off with your signature sign-off? Our time is up. Thank you for yours. Thank you, Sarah Bush. Thank you, Phil Redman. You're listening to Quite Honest with Sarah Bush and David Drapella. For more content, videos, and information, visit us on the web at aquietplace.net or go to our YouTube channel and subscribe and ring the bell for notifications. You can also find David Trapella and Sarah Bush on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And visit Sarah at her website, sarahbush.net.